Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years, you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald. It's sad, actually, to get to the stage where we've had five years of absolute chaos. There is a difference between the EU and Europe and Europeans. Europeans are still our friends. Europe is still our friend. The EU project at the moment is fighting us and we are fighting with them. And there is no doubt about that. Well, but, I mean, David Frost is just talking about appointing a head of a Brexit opportunities unit to look for opportunities. I mean, this is the problem with Brexit. There are no benefits. There are only costs. I think the First Minister will want to hold this referendum when she thinks she can win it. I'm Brian Taylor, a very warm welcome to the latest edition of my Herald podcast. Now, the Hollywood session ended today, and so that's a bit of a bit of a special for you. We're going to take a look at Scotland's combined constitutional conundrum. It's five years since the Brexit referendum, I know, but how long is it until the next referendum on Scottish independence? Nicola Sturgeon told MSBs today that she was determined to revisit that choice in the referendum. Once, as she said, the, the, the coronavirus plague is sufficiently contained. And she argued that Brexit more than justified running that independent choice again. So let's look at both in an absolutely expert panel. Joined by Mike Russell. I used to tease Mike by calling him the Cabinet Secretary for mitigating Brexit. Uh, but now, having stood down as an MSP, he's taken charge of the SNP's independence campaign. Also on the panel, and delighted to welcome Peter Duncan, formerly the Conservative Shadow Scottish Secretary. Delighted to welcome Kirsty Hughes, Director of the Scottish Centre on European Relations, and Michelle Ballantyne, a former MSP who leads Reform UK Scotland. And absolutely delighted to welcome my colleague from the Herald, David Ball. Thanks all for, for joining us. Mike Russell, first of all, we have a, um, it's five years since the referendum, a report from the Scottish Government suggesting it's not exactly going wonderfully, presumably would, of course, endorse that uh, verdict from your, your former governmental colleagues. I would, and it doesn't actually need a report from the Scottish Government to, to tell you that five years on. I, I saw today a, a bit, Glasgow uh, uh, University had uh, retweeted a piece I wrote for them uh, the week after the uh, referendum, which I think we all presaged that this wasn't going to go well. Precisely how badly it has gone really is the issue now. We've seen today an announcement that, for example, O2 is reintroducing roaming charges for people who will be going uh, onto the continent. We've seen that exports of foodstuffs have, have virtually collapsed. We have a horrible set of problems, and those horrible set of problems have been exacerbated or created by Brexit. And it didn't need to be this way. There could have been a, a much softer Brexit. I would still have been against it, but it wouldn't have been as damaging in this way. So the, the choice is stark. The choice was pretty stark five years ago. It's been a very difficult five years. Every attempt to at compromise that we've brought forward has failed. There isn't another choice. The status quo is completely dead. So the people of Scotland will have to choose and will choose, I think, between uh, a Brexit Britain, which is a broken Britain, which is a backward-looking Britain, or uh, independence. It is as simple as that. Independence within the EU in mm -hmm. a modern constitutional set of relationships. I'm looking forward to that challenge because I think the people of Scotland will choose that. Mike, Mike, Mike thanks. Let, let, let's debate you know, later. Let's hold off on the idea of the justification for an independence referendum. Certainly, let, let's put that into the mix as well. But just sticking for a moment to the, the impact of, of Brexit, Michelle, Michelle Ballantyne, would you accept that there have been problems, for example, with uh, Scottish exports? Would you accept there have been problems? Would you say these are teething troubles? Would you say there can be uh, you know, advantages in the longer term? 
Yes, of course. Of course, I accept there are problems. But I think there's two things to remember in all this. First of all, we actually only left in January of this year. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't been five years. There were you know, four and a half years of back and forth and mm-hmm. negotiation and people trying to undermine it. Um, but we only actually left in January. So we are only in the first six months of Ooh, Yeah, it's going to get worse. No, I think that's the... That's oh, the dear, 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 dear. Those of us who are actually exporting, and I'm one of them, we have a company that exports. January was a very odd month. Um, many people actually bought a lot of goods in before January. We stockpiled a bit just to knowing that January would be difficult. Uh-huh. So, yes, we saw a fall in January. Uh, we saw a slight pickup in February um, in reaction to that. But overlaid across all of that, of course, is COVID as well and all the restrictions that have come with COVID. Um, and most of the people I'm speaking to, when they're investigating their supply chain difficulties, for example, a lot of it is more related to COVID than it actually is to Brexit. You, 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 think, so that ex- that, that explains, you, you think that explains the problems that, for example, the Scottish seafood sector has been having no, and exporting to no, France? No, of course not. Of course not. Um, and th- there are absolutely bound to be problems when you first instigate it. And we know that some of the checks were messy. We know that paperwork was messy at the borders. Um, but but wasn't that forecast? Into- wasn't it forecast that there's no way the EU remaining EU countries would make it easy for, for uh, the departing UK? No, no. I mean, they made it very clear that they would do everything in their power to make it difficult. They uh-huh. want to disrupt it. They want but to this, make this it is complete, This is complete nonsense. Kirsty Hughes, Kirsty Hughes, I'll come back in a second, Michelle. Kirsty Hughes. I think this is complete nonsense. I'm sorry. It was the UK government promoting Brexit who chose to go for a very hard free trade deal, introducing all this bureaucracy, introducing the non tariff barriers. It's a deal that they agreed with the EU. The EU, just like Mike Russell said, he'd have liked to soft the Brexit. So would the EU. And the COVID point is also wrong because we've already got statistics from the first few months of this year that show that trade with non-EU countries is either not fallen at all or has gone up a tiny bit, whereas it's fallen dramatically with the European Union. And of course, yes, we have to wait for the stockpiling in January and February to come out of the figures. But we've had about an 11% fall already this year overall in in exports. And we've got top economists who say we had about a 10% fall in that five years, where there was already an impact on the UK economy, foreign direct investment, and so on. You said that everybody wanted a softer Brexit. The SNP actually brought that in Parliament. They actually enabled um, the government to change and actually the, the move away from that very soft Brexit that Theresa May was trying to put in. So, so the SNP were actually, if you like, for many of us Brexiteers, the saviours of not ending up under EU control with a really messy Brexit as we perceived it. Now, I, I do. I mean, not. surely whoever's responsible for Brexit is really not the SNP. I mean, well, exactly. Millions millions Michelle, of, of, of the Reform UK party got a massive total, right? I'm looking at it here, 
of 5,790 seats. I never went into the elections expecting to get a vote, okay? So, oh, so yeah, that was not, not in any shape or form a surprise to me. But, Mike, over a million people in Scotland voted for Brexit, and you have singularly failed. You have singularly failed. To represent them at all, you have never ever done anything to help in terms of Brexit, which was democratically voted for. You have undermined it. So you cannot now complain when there are issues with it, because if you had been more supportive of the democratic vote, we might have a better position all round. But I would say this. There is going to be difficulties. Of course there is. Nobody ever denied that there wouldn't be difficulties. And there will be shifts in trade and shifts in relationships. And they do not happen overnight. They you, are say, you, say, you, say, you say that nobody denied there would be difficulties, but surely cabinet uh, ministers, UK conservative cabinet ministers at the time, said it would be a skoosh. They said yeah. there would be the easiest thing, in, easiest thing on earth to strike a deal with the remaining European Union members. I don't, well, I, I certainly never said that, and I certainly never said it would be easy. Of course, yeah. all change is difficult, and the kind of change we've just undergone is extremely difficult, and anybody who thinks otherwise is naive. Thanks for that. But Peter Duncan, you're very keen to bring in Peter Duncan. Peter Duncan, what do you, what was, do you make of what I you just, Well, I was just, I was just going to observe, Brian. I think, like a lot of debates in today's politics, quite a lot of this would be, would be improved if there wasn't so much absolutism on either side of the, of the argument. I mean, I think I think people... Well, I, I, I voted for Brexit. Um, I'm pleased it's happened. Um, I don't deny that there were there are difficulties and there will be difficulties. There will also be massive opportunities. On the same, on, on the same basis, I think it would the debate would be improved by those who defended our place in the EU if they, if they also granted the fact that there will be some advantages. Uh, there are what advantages. What are those, what are those advantages? The government... Well, I mean, David Frost is just talking about appointing a head of a Brexit opportunities unit to look for opportunities. I mean, this is the problem with Brexit. There are no benefits. There are only costs. I think probably the 82% of the British public who have had their vaccinations probably yeah. would say that actually that's one advantage of having left the EU. No, I readily recognise that it's entirely possible for any country within the EU to decide to opt out of the vaccination programme and do it themselves. But are we really saying, are we really saying that if the UK was still in the EU, we would have opted to do things differently? I think I'm, that's a I'm, fantasy. I'm not sure that's and a constitutional view. 50% more excess deaths in the UK than in France and Germany. 50% more people died here. Mike, I mean, Mike, it's ridiculous. We could have Mike done Russell, Mike, Russell, you were, Mike, Mike Russell, you were desperate to get in. Mike Russell. It's just pathetic. I mean, it, it's sad, actually, to get to the stage where we've had five years of absolute chaos. We are facing you know, a continued economic collapse. We are going to face once, and, and one thing I would agree with Michelle about, we haven't seen the awful effects of all of this yet because COVID has rather sheltered us from them. We haven't had masses of people traveling and they're going to discover when they start to travel how difficult that is. And after all that, after all that, the, the, the people who are proposing Brexit, who've forced it through against the will of the Scottish people, 
are actually telling us that they can't think of any advantages, but it might be the COVID vaccination, which is simply untrue. This David, is a pathetic no, set of circumstances. That, that's and Peter and Michelle case, should be ashamed of the damage they are doing to Scotland. It I'll is come to them in a second. Come to them in a second. David Ball, David Ball, David, mm-hmm. David, David, remind us that we, we have this argument about mandate. Of course, the people of Scotland voted one way, didn't they? And the people of the UK as a whole voted a different way, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. But we have to be clear, we, it was a UK vote that mm-hmm. voted to leave. However, it, it hasn't helped the unionist cause by the majority of Scots who voted to remain. And it is playing into the SNP's hands a bit, the fact that this has been such a mess. A lot of the, the, the problems we are seeing are down to political decisions made by the Conservative government. I don't think anyone who voted for Brexit um, would have expected five years later to be still arguing over the Northern Irish Protocol. Yeah. Peter Duncan, what, what about that, that that particular element of the of the, the problem and the conundrum we haven't mentioned so far? Well, it's, it's, it, well two things. I mean, one, one I'm, not, I'm not surprised it took so long to come to agreement because constitutional mm-hmm. divorces are complicated. And I think, you know, as we come on to that debate later on, Brian... We might what might you have in mind? What yeah. might you have in mind? I can't imagine. Yeah, con- con- constitutional divorces just take time and they're extremely messy and complicated. Uh-huh. And, and that will resonate with the public going forward. But as far as the, the North Island, situation is concerned it was it was always obvious right from the very start that the northern irish border was going to be one of two major issues that was going to be extremely difficult to resolve now i think i have to say uh, i didn't i didn't support uh, boris johnson as leadership uh, for the conservative party as it happens and and i I, because i uh, i didn't think he was the right guy for the job as it happens he's come to a negotiated agreement that i personally disagreed with the northern Ireland protocol I, i always thought was a disaster um, and I still think it places some real strains on you, are, are you, are you compromise that are, should not have been accepted. Are you arguing, Peter, and I'll come to Michelle in a second, are you arguing, Peter, that despite the problems in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, despite the problems we've had explained on trade, despite the problems that we've had explained from, from your, your, the, those who take a different view from you on Brexit, on potential travel, are you still saying it's worth it? It will be advantageous yeah. to, to the UK and to, and to Scotland? Yes, and, and to be clear, I didn't campaign on Brexit. I happen to be a Brexit voter. I voted for Brexit. And the reason why I took that view is I have, I've never held the view that we were socially, economically, politically, emotionally a European country. I just didn't think that we're part of Europe, but we were never part of the European Union project. I've just by, never by, we, always... by we, do you mean the UK or do you mean I Scotland? Mean the U- I mean the UK, and you take your view. You take your view as to what as as to where we're best placed. I take the view that we're best to have the sovereignty to take these decisions ourselves. For example, I I think Scotland needs more immigration. I think Scotland needs more people. I'm coming towards my my latter years, and in doing so, I'm looking forward to my pension being paid. And for that to happen, we need more workers. We need our economy to grow, and I think Brexit is one route towards taking a decision on immigration that allows us to attract the best from across the world. And you're shaking your head. Yeah. Yes, certainly. I mean, we've just ended free movement. We've made it so much harder for EU citizens to work in this country, let alone to feel, I mean, they do feel welcome in Scotland, but they don't feel yeah. welcome in England. And this is utterly absurd. We've just compounded existing problems. And and also, I think, you know, even in England, Scotland clearly is a European country with a majority of its public. They voted 62% remain. They disagree with Peter, but YouGov did a 
poll yesterday and 55% across the UK said the decision to leave was wrong. So, you know, you've created huge divisions, even in England, let alone putting a border to Northern Ireland, alienating Scotland further. Uh, Michelle, Michelle Ballantyne, what do you you make of that? It's caused nothing but problems. I think if you're asking me, do I regret? No, I don't. I still think we've done the right thing. And the reason for that, and like Peter, I had similar starting points to Peter in terms of why I I ended up supporting Brexit. Uh But there's a broader point as well. And that is the future. It's the direction of travel. And if you look at the EU project and its direction of travel, it is alien to the sovereignty of the UK. The idea that that we would have increasing political and monetary integration in order to make the EU work, which is going to be essential for the EU, does not fit with the sovereignty of the UK. And as an island, whether people like it or not, as an island, we are separate. We don't benefit from the same... And things that say, you know, crossing from the Netherlands to Belgium and into Germany, where that that border crossing and the signposts are right there. And and you may be crossing those borders every day. We don't have that same position as an island. And we we didn't give up sterling for very good reasons. And I would never want to give up sterling and go to the euro. And I know many people in in Britain and, and the UK as a whole agree with that. I do not want to give up our flag and sit under an EU flag. And I do not want to give up the British Armed Forces and sit under an EU Armed Forces. Mike Russell, you were shaking your head throughout almost all of that speech. Mike Russell. Well, I mean, the state of constitutional sclerosis that exists within the Conservative Party and within its right-wing nether regions, like whatever Michelle leads in Scotland, is just astonishing. Well, you want you want to give up your sovereignty. You want to sell Scotland out and, and give it to the EU to rule. And, and Mike, Russell, Mike, Mike, Mike Russell, Mike Russell. World, in the modern world, we need to work with each other. Sovereign units pooling sovereignty in order to work well with each other. It is an established, good, uh, positive way to do business. What we have in the Conservative Party at the present moment is people who you know, truly are conservative. They refuse to change. They are encouraging the largest non-elected legislative chamber in the world. Uh, Boris Johnson has lied and and particularly lied over the Northern Ireland Protocol and lied to people on camera about what it would mean. And we've gone through all that, and yet we're sitting here listening to two people who who are saying, you know, nothing to see here. It's all particularly marvellous. It'll all come good. Uh, And we are going to be wonderfully well off on this island. Let's bring in Michelle. Hang on, Mike. Michelle, then Peter. Mike has always been one of those people that takes great delight in pompously insulting people, other people's opinions if they don't agree with him. No, I'm trying to. The reality, Mike, is. Michelle Valentine. Michelle. But the, the reality of a lot of people, a reality of a lot of people and a lot of people in business is that we see the world in a much broader way. And we are not giving up trading with our European partners. We are not giving up being friends. You can say they're giving up trading with us. Married yes, you are. EU people. No, we're not. I'm that's what I'm sorry, we are still given up free movement of and capital. You've given up free movement of goods. I, I know say, we oh, we're not we doing any of this. Freedom of movement of people, but we haven't given up having people coming into our country to work. Thanks my for that. Si- my I, sister-in-law I, I, is oh, Dutch, 
and she is Okay, bring in, bring in Peter, bring in Peter. A Peter Duncan, Peter Duncan, please. I, yeah. I, I, I make a second appeal. Uh, I mean, I, I've got a lot of time for Mike. He and I have um, I've spoken mm-hmm. many times over the years, but I would just gently say, I mean, I, I'm never, I haven't said, Mike, nothing to see here, move along. I said yeah. the absolute opposite. I said on either side of this debate, we could do with seeing things in less black and white terms. Mm-hmm. I accept, I accept there are significant challenges in leaving the European Union. I always have and always will, and hopefully we'll work through them. But I just happen to take the view that the benefits are greater than the risks. You clearly, and Kirsty, take the view otherwise. You take the view, actually, there are, clearly there are give some us, benefits, but give, you give take us, the risks us, us so let's, uh, let's just see it more in greater detail. Uh, coronavirus, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Peter Duncan, give us a few concrete examples of benefits down the line. Not, 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 not the, the coronavirus, which we we hope is transient, but some 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 permanent benefits down the line for Scotland and the UK on leaving the European Union. I think I, I think it will be significantly to our benefit to operate in an international trading environment where we can take our own decisions. Mm-hmm. I think it will be significantly to our benefit that we can take decisions down the line on some of our taxation systems that we could not take. Other than within the European Union, for example, we we, we are we are forced to levy VAT on heating, for example. We a future government might decide. Actually, do you know what we'd like to remove that VAT on heating because it disproportionately impacts okay. the poorest in the society. Those are the kind of changes I think are now. Kirsty Kirsty Hughes, what about that? The, the, the argument that it would give us greater liberal a liberalisation on on an ability to change on taxation and economic policy. I, I think, you know, on, on the whole, it doesn't. First of all, on the international trade point, we, we have much, much less power um, as, as a 60 million strong country on our own than being part of a half a billion bloc. And I heard that point admitted by one of the, the UK's top officials off the record. Um, so I'm not going to say where or who, um, you know, the, the other day. And Michelle talks about loss of sovereignty. But what what did we lose? As, as she said, we got an opt-out on the euro. We've still got the pound. We've still got our seat on the Security Council. Uh, we had that before. I think what's really sad here is you talked, Michelle, about the EU is still our friends. But when I talk to people across the EU member states, that's not always clear. There's certainly not a friend of the UK government. It's, it's can lost I, can trust. I just, it's not, can I just finish? It, yes, it's lost its just finish then, Michelle. It's lost its international reputation. People say to me, what happened to the professional, pragmatic UK? Is it ever coming back? And what what Brexit has actually done is not only split Scotland from England and Wales, but also people in the EU look very warmly at Scotland. They know that we're still their European friends. Very sadly, that is not how they look at the the UK government. And that's true both of Governments and of the publics as thank, opinion politicians. Thank, thanks for that. Thanks for that, Michelle Ballantyne, and then I'm going to bring in David Ball. Maybe you get a little, little tweak to move us towards the independence argument. Michelle Ballantyne, then David. Right. There are two things there. There is a difference between the EU and Europe and Europeans. Europeans are still our friends. Europe is still our friend. The EU project at the moment is fighting us, and we are fighting with them. And there is no doubt about that. Okay, but the. The people yes, who do Sorry. Are, Sorry, are European families, are the European businesses that, that we're working with and the people I speak to are working with. We are just as much friends. We are just as much willing, keen and able to do business with each other. And we are working through the issues that Brexit throws up. 
And I think that is the difference between politicians and people in business, in the real world, working. We are working the problems okay. rather than trying to, you know, inflate the problems. We don't need the problems. Them. You've made the problems. I mean, I'm sorry. Let's, this is utterly my God, go on, go on, go on, created the problems. Having made the problems, we say, oh, we're working our way through them, you know. Well, you shouldn't have made the problems. But, Michael, you 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 either believe in democracy. You either believe in democracy. These are the people who believe in democracy. Let me just say something, Brian, if I could say something to Peter. Please, please. very nice about me, and I want to be nice about Peter, too. I've always (laughs) gone really well with Peter. Uh, You know, I disagree with him on lots of things, but I've gone on really well with him. I, I have spent, I spent the last five years of my political life on this. Uh, if there had been the boasted advantages, as Burns said, of the union to be found, I would have noticed them peeping out. The only one that the UK government wanted to talk about all the time was fishing. And in the end, they betrayed the fishing communities and the fishermen. They let them down very, very badly by their own admission. So I'm sorry, I, if I could find, Peter, you know, something that was glowing away there as a great benefit. Oh, I, I, this was I, a huge so, it was a you gen- genuinely can't we're all going to pay for it unless Peter unless yeah Peter Peter Duncan and then I'm going to bring in David Ball Peter then David yeah so, so Mike are you seriously saying that you know in all in all honesty with accepting that you see lots of risks and lots of disadvantages and they, you think they overwhelmingly um, out, outweigh any advantages are you honestly saying you can't see one single advantage? At all, he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I am. I am. Hang on, hang as good as being a member of the EU. Everything else is a compromise. Hang on, hang on. Let's bring in David Ball. David, a couple of developments this week on the independence. Issue suggestion from uh, uh, Michael Gove that the UK government would say no to a referendum in in the current Westminster term, and and uh, a speculative piece in in one of the newspapers suggesting that perhaps the franchise should be altered to allow those you know Scots uh, elsewhere, Scots born presumably it would be a, a definition question elsewhere. But where, where are we on on the idea of an independence referendum? First Minister saying today she is adamant that that. The choice will be put before the, the Scottish people in the near future. Where, where are we on this one? Well, it's all gone a bit stale since the election, really. Um, we had all these promises and declarations from both sides during the election campaign, but it's gone very cold. And yes, we've had these sort of little hints at maybe some of the tactics that the unionist side are going to develop, like the franchise and talk of bringing Ruth Davidson back into the fold. Um, but still, there's that admin message that there's not going to be a referendum from that from the UK government. So at, at the moment, was it was it was it adamant though? It wasn't all that adamant. I think the quote was, "I can't see it from 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 Michael Gove." Well, just because he can't see it doesn't mean it won't happen. No, that is true. I mean, it's still not categorically ruling it out. But again, it seemed to me he was. No, well, the, the power still lies with the UK government to grant it, unless we get into a, a court battle, which we may end up. Okay, Peter Duncan, you were you were smiling gently at that at that, that that description. Do you think a referendum in the, in the near future independence is likely? Um, well, I, I I think there's one interesting uh, co- uh, coincidence of dates, and that is if you if you accept the, the likelihood that um, we're not going to see an independence referendum in the first half of this parliament, uh-huh. and you also accept the theory that perhaps Boris Johnson might be tempted 
to go in the spring of 23 rather than the spring of 24, ah. then I think there's a potential that we might not see a, a referendum until after the next general election. Uh, I think that's possible. Uh, I mean, personally, I, I think quite a lot of this, uh, a lot of these issues, as we as we said at the start, Brian, are mm. interrelated. I think it's, for example, that the difficulty in coming to long-term negotiations of our constitutional divorces is an interrelated point. Mm -hmm. The challenges of the Northern Irish border and reading that across to the Scottish-English border, if, if Scotland was to re-enter the customs union, that's an interrelated argument. So I think quite a lot of this uh, over the last five years will do, perhaps be running in future. Just do, do, you think, do, do you think, me, do you think, Peter, that a further referendum on independence would be justified in that in 2014, the Scots were told that the way to stay in the European Union was to stay in the Union of the UK, and that has not proved to be the case. Is it justified in, in that, those circumstances to hold a further ballot? Yeah, I mean, I, I've taken the view for some time that I, I think there is. I think if the Scottish, if the Scottish people express a view that they would like another referendum, then I think it's almost inevitable it's going to happen. And I think the longer it's it's the longer it's delayed and the longer it's avoided, the more difficult it is for for the unionist cause for which I support uh -huh. the unionist cause to win that to win that argument. So you, I would think say, that, you would say to your unionist chums, get on with it. Uh, I have unionist chums. I have nationalist chums. But I would say to, I would say to my unionist chums, uh, I I would I think there is a probably a case over the next five years where it becomes counterproductive to further postpone it. Thank you very much, Mike Russell. Well, I'm pleased to hear that from Peter. I mean, you know, I I I have I I have no ambitions. Well, I have ambitions, but I don't think I'm going to make Peter into a nationalist. So I'm not going to work very hard at it. I have to say. But I, I, I do like to hear the fact that he believes that the Scottish people vote for a referendum, there should be one, because that strikes me as a very simple democratic point. I tend to pay very little attention to Michael Gove's gaslighting. In fact, I paid very little attention to Michael Gove full stop, having dealt with him extensively for the last decade, both on education and on this matter. And there is simply gaslighting going on, uh, you know, followed by... You know, people who want to troll the people of Scotland and make them angry about what is uh, the attitude of the UK government. I, I, take, I don't take this very seriously at all. Uh, what Scotland should be doing is deciding what it wants to do. And what it wants to do, and I think the First Minister is right, is to hold a referendum that people have voted for it. There is a majority in the Scottish Parliament for it. The question is when it should be held, and that is up to the Parliament. The bill says that. But in terms of franchise, we've already decided that. No, there is a franchise bill that has been passed. There is a referendum bill that's been passed. There is a draft bill on the on the final details to be uh, dealt with. And therefore, what we need to do is just to make sure that we move uh, carefully uh, because of the pandemic and systematically towards that referendum. And that's I'm glad to hear from Peter that he thinks the demands of the people of Scotland, if they are made, uh, should be met. I think Mike, that's what, very fair. Stay, stay with us. Got a question coming in. Um, uh, saying, how can we become independent before we have a fully functioning welfare system? The argument, you know, broader argument being that, that, that Scotland doesn't have a full system of governance ready to move to, to, to a state of independence. Well, I, I, I would dispute that. I mean, you know, we're, we are we have been taking responsibility for the welfare system over a period of time. We continue to do so. That matter can be concluded. Independence isn't going to happen overnight. And that matter would be concluded in plenty of time to allow an independent Scotland to emerge. But the the argument at the present moment, you know, and there has to be a full argument about all the issues of independence, but the argument at the moment is about having that vote. And once we've had that argument and succeeded in that argument, that vote is set, then we need a full and rational debate about the choices facing Scotland. Now, some of the... Kirsten Hughes, Kirsten Hughes, Kirsten, please. 
but we should have that debate. But, but I think that I think there is a real problem here. I, you know, I agree with you and, and with Peter on on the fact that if there's a democratic mandate, then if, and, and there is a mandate, and we've had it from more than one election now, and certainly Brexit is also a big enough issue, then there should be a referendum. But I, I think there's there's such a big there's a big hole at the heart of this. It's it's the biggest elephant in the room that we keep talking about whether and when even a lot of the infighting in the SNP is about when and how fast to have a referendum we should be talking about the policies now so of course it's possible for an independent Scotland to set up a fully functioning welfare system but we need to know how long that would take we need to talk about the transition out of the UK being a state into the EU and as you know while you were cabinet minister there was a lot of work in your department going on about accession to the European Union and that got put on hold because of the pandemic but surely this work needs to see the light of day now we don't just want to discuss this during the referendum can I agree with Kirsty because it's great we're going to have people agreeing on this program Brian it'll never catch on but it's good to do um you know I'm going to stop to that soon but there is there is work to be finished that work was suspended on the 16th of March 2020 there is still work to be finished. You know, one of the reasons I've accepted, the, you know, the First Minister's invitation to, to, to be active again in terms of the party activity is that I want to see that work finished. And, you know, I want to have a conversation with Kirsty about some of that work. There are things that need to be done. Michelle Valentine, is, is a, a, a referendum on independence justified given the fact that the European position has changed so utterly since 2014? No, I don't think that in itself justifies it. And I think that it's very interesting that both Kirsty and and Mike have have suggested that the only reason the SNP are in government is because they were elected to enact independence. But the polls have shown us that the majority of people in Scotland don't think that having an independence referendum right now is is the right way to go. So I think you have to divide this up. I mean, I would agree in some respects that, that Mike's party don't really focus very much on getting the other things right. They do tend to focus on independence. But the reality is, and when Mike says they've taken on, for example, the welfare, the question from, from the viewers about a fully functioning welfare system, what we have just seen during the pandemic is universal credit, which Mike and his, his colleagues have condemned from beginning to end. But universal credit actually rose to the challenge of thousands of people needing a claim dealt with quickly and it and it did it and our legacy systems could not have done that and they would not have delivered so we have seen universal credit for the first time sticking 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 to the point michelle michelle sticking to the point sticking to the point of a mandate and the justification of holding the referendum you you say like michael gove you you can't see it i i don't see it and i actually think peter's right i think what we'll see is the uk conservative government will bring forward potentially a general election early i think a lot of people are already gearing up for that um and i don't think there'll be the space in the democratic sort of agenda if you like to put in a scottish i do think it is wrong to say I mean, There's even, no even Mike, you know, hang on, Mike, hang on, hang on. Mike, Mike's big, big headline welfare benefit, the child payment, is paid linked to universal credit. It doesn't stand alone. It is okay. reliant right. on universal uh, credit. I don't, don't want to go down that particular road. Peter Duncan, you were keen to come in. Peter Duncan. Just to observe the point, which I suspect might unite us all, Brian, which is always a good place to start. And that is, I think the First Minister will want to hold this referendum when she thinks she can win it. 
That's the reality. It is one thing to hold a referendum. It's another thing entirely to achieve the political objective, which she quite legitimately has, and respect to the electorate. And I think, to be honest, that there is there is not yet quite the time, quite the evidence of that. Remember that after the 2014 referendum, and there was that, that tide of support. Mm. There was talk of the 60% support mark. That was the point when we would hold the next one. I don't see any evidence of that yet. That's not to say things might change over time, but I think at the moment David. there's probably consensus, and it's helpful for the for the for the first minister actually to get further procrastination from Westminster. David. Resentment and also achieves her covenant objective, which I think is to hold it later. Da- da- David Ball, we're, we're suggesting that you know, Nicola Sturgeon is already quite cautious on t- tackling coronavirus, t- cautious on coming out of it. Do you think she's also cautious on the timing of a, re- of a referendum on independence? Yeah, I think so. In the SNP manifesto, it was quite clear, crystal clear, in fact, that um, an independence referendum wouldn't be held until the immediate pandemic had yeah. been resolved. She said um, that again today. Yeah, said that yeah, again today. Yeah. So, and I think that that balance, and she doesn't want to put people off. Obviously, she needs to be prioritizing the pandemic. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, as as Peter said, we, she wants to hold it when there's more support for independence. But at the end of the day, it's going to be completely out of her hands when this uh, reference is. As Rebecca and Canada has shown, you only get two shots. A bit it only happens twice. Yeah. If, you, if you lose Hughes. the second one, it's over. It's gone. Kirsty Hughes. Kirsty Hughes. Yeah, just, can, just, can, can, one, one point particularly. Do you think that Brexit and, and EU membership for Scotland would be a, a, a defining element in a further independence referendum? or do and, and do you feel that the people of Scotland are more, if you like, uh, intuitively communautaire than, than, than elsewhere in the UK? Because that's been somewhat countermanded. I, I actually, I really do think they are both that both in in that the, the, there isn't this neuralgia about feeling European, but also if you look at Boris Johnson's ideology, I'd call it of global Britain. I think that really resonates in Scotland. You don't have to be pro-independence to think, oh yeah, we can compare Scotland to Ireland or Finland or Denmark. Yeah. So it's a completely different sense of where we are in the world. And I, I also think. I mean, we'll see when the timing is, but why not have an independence referendum before the general election? Then the UK can vote and see what sort of UK government it wants to to negotiate that divorce. Mike Russell, it was said at the time of the 2014 referendum that it was a a once in a generation decision. Why has that changed in your view? Well, all politicians describe elections as being the most important, the ones in general. I mean, Corbyn described the, the UK general election as being once in a generation, I think, in 2017. Uh, there was, you know, the Edinburgh Agreement was clear about what happened. And, uh, you know, circumstances changed and changed very dramatically. And indeed, I stood in 2016 on a manifesto that said Scotland being taken out of Europe against its will would be grounds for another referendum. So I think we've been entirely clear and consistent. Can I try and perhaps just yes, unify... But the, the, the idea of unity from Peter Duncan seems attractive. Can I unify a debate that we've been having with Brexit with this? For good sake, guys, you've got room for any sake. I mean, you're gee, where's this? It's a big contract. made a really nice and interesting contribution to, to the debate yeah. about Irish unification. And one of the things he said then was that there was no majority said any more in Northern Ireland for either unionism or nationalism. In other words, they were in you know, what Brexit had done was created a new set of circumstances to which people needed to talk and they needed to define themselves anew. I think that's a pretty accurate statement in terms of the whole of these. Wales is in the same position. Scotland is in the same position. The answers will be different in each place. But that is the result of what has taken place with a deeply divisive and damaging Brexit. 
that there has been a new constitutional dispensation. Now you have the constitutionally sclerotic uh, you know, UK with the Tories, who just don't want any constitutional change. But you asked, you have in the other places, very active debate and discussion. And the debate and discussion in Scotland is about independence and the way we move forward. We now have to put flesh on those bones and have a referendum. And I think Peter is right to have a referendum, which we would intend to win. Mike, Michelle, can I, Michelle, can I, Michelle, please, Michelle, pilot. Yeah, yeah. Can I, Mike? Can I ask you a question? Because you know, you obviously, you know, are still virulently angry about Brexit. You talk about mm-hmm. it as being deeply divisive. Do you genuinely believe that a Scottish independence referendum would be all friendly? And you know, if you got your desire and you managed to break up the UK, that it would be without problems and it would be easy and it would you know, flow and there would be no border between Scotland and England. I mean, I, I'm unclear how you see Brexit as such such deeply dividing, damaging, right. all these words, and you think that, that right. breaking up the UK wouldn't be. Mike Russell. Yes, uh, because I believe that we should go into a, a referendum on independence, a second referendum on independence, very mindful of the damaging outcomes of the Brexit referendum, determined to try and have as unified a campaign as possible acknowledging the difficulties exist. Now, the lesson for that uh, exists in a number of places, for example, in Ireland on the abortion referendum, where we need to have a broad tent. We need to welcome people into it, and we need to find a way to try and reconcile people to change, and that is hard to do. One of the reasons for setting up the Citizens' Assembly was also to find different ways of having debate and dialogue about serious and contentious issues. So I believe it is, it's not only an ambition. We should have built into the DNA... Sure of any new referendum, yeah. the way in which we approach two, that. Two, two or the why don't you apply that to Brexit? Why don't you because, apply because that Brexit referendum? Well, I'll tell you precisely, let him answer, let him answer, let him answer. precisely what the problem there was. Um, because in, in the aftermath of that referendum, if Theresa May had taken into 10 Downing Street, the leader of the Labour Party, the leader of the Liberals, uh, Nicola, uh, uh, Carwin, uh, and, and the Northern Ireland leadership then and said, look, we've all got to get something out of this. You, know, you may not like it, but we've got to get something out of this. That could have changed things. Instead, we had the hardest, most ideological right-wing approach, which has damaged the, everybody, Can and which it? paid no attention to the views of others and still doesn't, in fact, C- worse. Kirsty, thanks, man. I'm going to say, I'm going to both. Kirsty Hughes, Hughes a, key, yeah. a key question. Would the European Union, should, should, should there become an independent Scotland and should it mm. seek European Union membership, do you believe that would be facilitated or and, and welcomed, or do you le- believe it would be problematic and, and fraught with, with difficulties? I, I think it would be facilitated and welcomed as long as it had been agreed between London and Edinburgh. That doesn't ah. mean that the EU would welcome the UK splitting up, but if we get ah. to the stage where Scotland is independent, a small northern five million strong country rejoining the EU is not the problem. And if I just add on the Brexit versus yes. independence debates, it seems to me, as I've said before, Brexit is all about costs. Independence is about costs and benefits. And it's also not about isolationism, which Brexit was about. It's about rejoining Europe. So, of course, there are similar issues in some ways on borders, but there also is a very different perspective. Michelle Ballantyne on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I find that quite quite amusing because that that is that that perspective of mindset of only seeing one side of a fence in, in a well, you know, costs in a, and benefits. You know, to, to, there's costs and benefits to Brexit. There are costs and benefits to independence. No. So 
But what there hasn't ever been is honesty around both sides of the fence on both debates. And I think that's always been the problem. I've got a lot of time for my SNP friends, you know, people who want independence, who talk to me about the difficulties that we would face and the problems that we would incur and the changes, the massive changes that would have to take place in Scotland if they were to get their desire. We're almost, we're almost out of time, folks. We're almost out of time. We're almost out of time. Final, from, from final, thanks, Michelle. We're almost out of time. Final forecasts on where, when you see an independence referendum occurring. Uh, can, you, can, you, can you put a year on it? Can you put a timetable on it? Peter Duncan, when, when do you think it might, it might happen, if it happens at all? Um, in, in the first, in this decade. In this okay. decade. David, David, David Ball. Uh, I think if it happens at all, it will be into the second half of this parliament, I would have oh. thought. Okay. Michelle Ballantyne. I think if the general election comes before it and Brexit settles down, it might never happen. If it does happen, it'll have to happen fairly soon. Kirsty Hughes. I would say 2024 and back in the EU by 2030 if it's a yes. <laughs> and finally, Mike. Finally, Mike Russell. Well, I'm absolutely not going to say, except I'll go with what the First Minister has said, which is in the first half of this Parliament, and I think that is correct. But, you know, the fact that uh, Michelle has said apparently there's no space for it in the crowded democratic calendar that we have in, in this country, just find, I, I just find amazing. Many, amazing. many, many thanks to all my panel today. Thanks to, to, Thank to, to all of you for for taking part and and many thanks to those of you all my thanks to those of you who've listened to this viewed it in in whatever uh, format has has been possible for me brian taylor to luna this podcast was brought to you by the herald take 20 percent off an annual subscription to the herald with our exclusive podcast code just add herald pod 2021 to your basket and get instant unfiltered access to our website and you can also get involved with the brian taylor podcast as well Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene.